We have been working through the Sermon on the Mount, and today we flip um, to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, Jesus is still, still going along in this same pattern, right? The whole thrust of the Sermon on the Mount has been Jesus um, reframing us, right? Like, like he's been giving us this picture of, of true religion, real spirituality, versus false religion, hypocritical spirituality of the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. And so we've had this dichotomy as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus has been telling us, this is what you're used to, this is what you see from your religious leaders, but I'm telling you, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is what you've heard them teach, right? But I say, this is the heart of the law that God gave. This is what you've seen them practice. But I'm telling you that right behavior that flows from a good heart looks like this. And so we've, throughout this sermon, Jesus has been pulling us back to the heart of what God wants to accomplish. And today he shifts to judgment. And I, the reality of judgment is that this is something that's very easy for us to do in our day and age. We get awfully judgmental. We even get judgmental about how judgmental other people are. That's the one I hear more than anything else. And she's not here today, so I'll talk about her. But Aubrey, Aubrey likes to tell us, you guys are being so judgmental as she judges us for being judgmental. But don't point out that hypocrisy to her because she doesn't like it. She gets mad. She gets even more judgmental. And then we judge her for it. It's a back and forth. It's, it's really not awesome. But when we talk about judgment, Jesus is really, really clear, right? He's really clear that judgmental behavior is unacceptable. And, and, and here's the reason why that is, right? Because judgmental behavior flows from an attitude of self-righteousness. And as, this is the Pharisees, the teachers of religious law. This is their whole thing, right? Is they feel self-righteous, right? What they feel like is they feel like they are actually good enough on their own. That people should listen to them because they are good. Other people are bad and they are good. And this is their whole attitude, right? The problem with self-righteousness, though, is that I have to justify myself. I have to prove why I'm good. And my proving why I'm good is usually me proving that you're bad and that I'm better than you. See, when, when we, we tend to try to make ourselves right in our own eyes, when we try to justify ourselves, the way we do that is by convincing ourselves and proving to ourselves that we are better than you. Right? I'm better than you, and so I'm good, you're not. We see that so clearly um, when Jesus tells us this. He, he's telling us in Luke about um, two people that come to pray. And he says, one of them was a Pharisee. The Pharisee stood by himself, um, stood by himself because he didn't want to mingle with the people because he was better than them and he didn't want anything to do with them. He stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God. Now listen to what he's saying. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. 
because they're bad and I'm good. I thank you that my prayers sound good and theirs sound weird. I thank you that I'm not like those other people. I'm not a cheater. I'm not a sinner. I'm certainly not a tax collector, an adulterer, right? I'm better than that. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. I thank God that I'm not like them. See, what happens is this Pharisee is self-righteous, right? He says, I'm good and worthwhile. Why am I good and worthwhile? Because I do good things, not bad things. Because I fast twice a week. I give of my income to support the temple. I do good stuff. They do bad stuff. I thank God that I'm better than them. Thank you for making me so much better than they are. And he contrasts that hypocritical spirituality with this true spirituality. The tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed, right? Knowing he wasn't even worth coming near stood at a distance and wouldn't even look up to where God would be. And he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. The furthest from self-righteous is honest. Oh God, be merciful to me because I am a sinner and there is nothing about me that's good or better than there is about anybody else. The only thing about me that's good is you. And, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Why? What justified him was his attitude. Not his attitude of I'm better than you, because I do good things, I'm better than you. His attitude of, oh God, I need you. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is, this is the, the thrust of, of what, what Jesus is getting at now as he gets into chapter 7 when he talks about judgment, is this idea that we need to put our self-righteousness aside, and we need to stop judging people. See, here's what happens. That's what happened with the Pharisees. They had basically created their own religion. They had decided what was good and bad on their own. Over centuries leading up to this time of Jesus, over centuries now, they've started adding laws and rules and things that we have to follow. And when people follow those things, they think, okay, that's now a good Jew. That's a good person. Right? And if you don't follow those rules, you're a bad person. So they've justified themselves and they've judged other people as wrong. Like you're going to read the Old Testament. And you know what you're never going to find in the Old Testament? A law that says you have to fast twice a week. You're never going to find it. It's not in there. There's no Old Testament law that says you must fast twice a week. But here you've got Pharisees saying, I'm a good person because I do this. They don't do this. They're bad people. That's what happens when we start creating our own brand of things. It's judgmental. You know who's really bad at that? Okay. Is Christians. 
we really get judgmental when people don't do what we want them to do. Okay, so I've had a couple of these since I've been here. Now, I, I, I've been, it's not like I've been here two weeks, right? I've been here about eight plus years. So, so when I say, oh, I've got a few examples on this, I, I've earned them over time, right? But there's a few. Here's a couple of my favorites. I got a confidential letter in the mail once. Don't send me confidential mail. Unless it says, Matt, you're awesome. You can send me that without your name on it. I don't care. But if you mean to correct me, come on in, sit down, let's have a conversation. And that's fine, because I can be correctable. Just ask Carrie, she'll tell you. Actually, don't ask Carrie. Here's the deal. So there are certain things that I've said. For example, this doesn't surprise you, you know I drink alcohol. I'm okay with drinking alcohol. I've read the Bible pretty carefully. The Bible does not forbid the drinking of alcohol. The Bible forbids getting drunk, hands down. And I will say um, always that it is sinful to be intoxicated. I will not say that it's sinful to drink alcohol. Now, here's the thing. Some of you don't drink. That's cool. Some of you do. That's cool too. If you get drunk, knock it off. Okay? Because the Bible says don't do it. Here's the problem. Because of that, I've, I've gotten anonymous notes in the mailbox telling me that I'm leading people astray and, and um, condemning them because I'm teaching them that something as wrong is good. Here's another one that it's a favorite of mine. You know I like football. I watch the Bears. I love the Bears even though they're terrible. I love to be mad at the Bears. But some Christians have decided that watching NFL is bad and that Christians shouldn't do it because, um, you know, the NFL doesn't necessarily stand for truth, freedom in the American way, the way that they've decided it should be. Some of them kneel at the, the national anthem and do other things. And so what I have gotten is some anonymous conversations about how um, if I was a real Christian and I was leading a real church, I probably wouldn't be talking about watching football. I wouldn't be doing it. Because somehow watching football now has become, according to these people, sinful. And real Christians don't do it. And here's my issue. If you don't want to watch football because it doesn't do for you what you want it to do or because you think it's crossed the line, okay, don't, don't do that. But when I start to elevate things to sin that the Bible does not call sin, I'm in a really dangerous judgmental area. Last one. Maybe a little bit more where we'll struggle with where we land on this, but this was relatively early in my time at Blessed Hope. But we had two gentlemen in the church that decided they wanted to get married to each other. This, of course, is a problem. They came to me and said, Matt, will you, will you do the wedding? And of course I said, no, I, I, I won't do the wedding. It can't be at the church and I won't officiate the wedding because I, I don't believe this is what God would desire us to do. So they decided to have a wedding somewhere else, officiated by someone else, but they invited people at the church to attend. And so there was kind of an outcry about, well, Matt, you have to stand in the pulpit you have to tell people that it would be sinful for them to go to this wedding. And so I read as much as I could read. I got to the Bible. I 
read everything there was to read, and nowhere did I find the Bible tell me that it would be sinful to attend this wedding ceremony. Now, was I going to go? No, I, I turned down my invitation. But was I in a position to tell you that it was sinful for you to attend this wedding? No, I wasn't in position to do that. What I was in a position to do was say, you know what? As God directs you, you should go. If God directs you to, to try to be a loving light to this family and, and to never compromise what you believe and to never be unclear about what you believe, but to attend and, and, and to tell them that I love you and, and I, I want good for you, but boy, God wants something different, but I'm going to express that through attendance, fine, attend. If God puts on your heart that, you know what, no, I'm not going to be a part of that because I feel like that sends a mixed signal and, and a confusing message, so I'm not going to attend that, then don't. And you have the freedom here to decide what it is that God's put on your heart because the Bible hasn't labeled one of them sin. And if the Bible doesn't label it sin, I won't either. I can promise you that didn't go over well either. Um, but here's, here's the issue, right? We as Christians, we, we tend to sometimes, and, and listen, it happens for good reason. We tend to get judgmental. Here's why we get judgmental. We get judgmental because we know something they don't know. Because there's a truth that if they just knew it and accepted it, would save their very soul and change the trajectory of their entire life. And we know something that we desperately want them to know and grab hold of. The problem is we do damage when that desire for someone turns into judgmental behavior towards them. And this is what's happened with, with uh, the Pharisees over the course of centuries. What started out as good intention has turned judgmental and, um, and problematic. And that's what Jesus has been correcting. And he's correcting this now um, in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's, let's get to Matthew 7. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Now, we could take that too far. In fact, there's a whole branch of evangelical Christianity that, that basically um, has gone astray because here's what's happened. They have decided that it is not a Christian's job ever to judge anything ever because God says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. And so they don't. And there are whole churches that focus on doctrines of love, cooperation, compromise and unity and they focus on those doctrines at the expense of everything else they would say that any doctrine that causes conflict or or contention instead of promotes love and unity should be sacrificed for the sake of not being judgmental and that is certainly not what jesus is talking about jesus actually tells us to judge the bible tells us to discern preaching to see if it's good sound doctrine the bible tells us that we are to correct one another um, out of compassion and love for one another when we struggle with sin that's what church discipline is all about in fact jesus says this right if another believer sins against you he doesn't say just deal with it because you don't want to be judgy he says, no, go privately and point out the offense, right? If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back, right? Like it's not that we're ignoring everything that's wrong. We don't ignore things that are wrong, but we have to be careful about the attitude with which we approach them. Here's the attitude we have to avoid. So let's stop condemning each other. 
Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Stop condemning each other. That's the judgmental behavior that Jesus is talking about. Stop telling people that they're right or they're wrong or that we're basing this on something that isn't the the foundational word of God. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to live in such a way that we can share the gospel and we can share right living without judging and condemning. And you're like, well, Matt, that feels hard. Sure, it feels hard. That's why it was so easy for them to mess it up, right? Because you would think, well, if I notice something wrong, right, well, then I'm going to say that something is wrong. Is that judgmental? Well, no, not necessarily. Judgment comes from your heart, comes from your attitude. The mandate is not against sound, sober, fair judgment. Like later when we have a conversation, I'd be like, David, that was wrong of you. And that's sound and sober and fair. It's fair judgment. It was mean. Sarah's back there crying. No, listen. We make light of it, but, but, but this is something we have to understand. The mandate's not against sound, sober, fair judgment. You need, as a church body, we need sound, sober, fair, good judgment. The, the mandate is against a judgmental attitude that judges motives, and it judges intentions, and it judges things that we have no business to judge. I'm going to give you an example that may sting a little bit for some of you. I promise you, I I didn't go through and read every single person and be like, oh, that person goes to Blessed Hope. That person goes to Blessed Hope. How did they respond? Uh, Because there were were hundreds of messages and responses. But but let's talk about um, vandalism and arson that just happened in our community. Two young men, juveniles, were arrested. And it's not wrong that we wanted them to be arrested, and it's not wrong that we want justice to be served. But here's the problem. When I read through those comments, because I'm weird like that, and I read through comments, I was a little bit frustrated. I was a little bit frustrated at the nature of those comments, because instead of, instead of being comments that said, yes, these, I mean, listen, lots of damage, lots of problems, Justice needs to be served. Of course, justice needs to be served. The problem is what happens is our comments are things like, well, those parents are terrible, right? Like the parents must be terrible because how could a kid ever make a mistake if their parents aren't the worst parents ever? And they really need to get a hold of their kids. And and these kids, you know what? They, they, They are vile and terrible and awful human beings. And they need, they need, Um, (laughs) I love the ones that mix karma and prayer. We're praying to God that they get the karma they deserve. If that was you, I don't know that that was you, and I'm sorry I called you out, but knock it off. One, karma, really? And I'm praying to God for it? What? Stop it. But but here's the thing, right? We're, We're so judgmental in the way that we're approaching these things instead of, yes, I hope justice is served. I hope these kids get, um, the discipline that comes from something like this. Why? Not because I hate them, not because I'm angry at them, but because, man, something is broken and it needs to be better, right? 
because mental health is a thing and it needs to be addressed, right? And because these kinds of things can't go unpunished and unchecked, right? Because more will happen. Like, I get all of that. But when it goes from a a sober-minded, fair judgment to a nasty, vindictive, hurt-filled, vitriol kind of a thing, listen, we are no longer doing what Jesus is telling us to do. When he says, don't judge, right? When he says, don't judge others and you'll not be judged, he's not saying that you can't have fair judgment. We're supposed to have fair judgment. What he's saying is you can't have a spirit of vengeful, judgmental kind of behavior and attitude. And you know the difference. You know the difference. You know that when you judge something as right or wrong, and you respond appropriately, that that's one thing. You know that when you have an attitude of judgmentalism, that that's something altogether different. He says, don't judge others and you'll not be judged. And he says, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. The standard you use to judge others is the standard that you will be judged with. Now, here's what that means. It doesn't mean that God has multiple standards for judgment. God has one standard of judgment. Sin in the cross. God has one standard of judgment. Sin in the cross. We've all sinned. Bible tells us we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God, there is salvation through Jesus Christ. The standard which God uses to judge is sin and your response to the cross. So when I see sin in the world, the attitude isn't, man, I am so much better than that person. When the attitude is judgmental, oh, those parents, tell you what, listen, do you know how many times I've screwed up my own kids? A lot. A lot. Right? I'm not better than other parents, right? Just because mine didn't light something on fire. They probably have, and I just don't know it. <laughs> just wasn't a truck. I'm not, I'm not making light of it. It's a big deal, and it needs to be dealt with. But when I get judgmental about these things, when I start casting stones about these things, that's acting as if I have a right to be judged. Like somehow I'm wise and I have knowledge and I have a right to be the one to judge those people. Right, like when I say that I have the right to judge, I'm inherently saying that I am better than you and I have the right to judge. The problem is, no, no, I don't because we're all judged by the same standard and that is our sin and the cross. Do you know what I am? I am a sinner who is saved by grace. That's all. That's all I've got to offer. If I am in a better position, it is not because I am self-righteous. If I'm self-righteous, I don't need God. I can do it myself. I can fast twice a day and I can give 10% of my income and I can do good things and therefore I will be a good person. But that's not how it works. If I am a little bit better off, if my behavior maybe looks a little bit better, it is simply for this reason. 
I am a sinner that has been saved by grace and am being transformed by the power of the gospel. I'm not better. I'm saved. And the Holy Spirit of God is changing me. And so what is my judgment for somebody else that's in struggle? It's not that I'm better than them. It's that they need what I found. They need the cross. They need the gospel. And if they have the gospel, then they need to let it transform them. I'm not better. I might be in a better position, but it's not my doing. That's God's doing. This is the whole point that Jesus is making. And he says, for, for, for you will be treated as you treat others. The, the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged, right? If you're going to judge them without grace, then guess what? Judge is saying, well, well, what happens when I judge you without grace? Right? If you refuse to understand that you didn't make yourself better, but that you are better because of the cross, that the cross has saved you and the gospel is transforming you. If you refuse to acknowledge that, then guess what? you're going to be judged without it too. Because you didn't save yourself. You can't save yourself. This is the real danger with judgmentalism, right? If you are continually judgmental in a significant way, what that demonstrates is that you don't understand yourself very well. Self-righteous people, self-righteous people, struggle to understand who they were before they got to God. If you feel justified in your own behavior, then you've forgotten what the cross did for you. And unfortunately, that happens to Christians over time. And, and you can see why it happens to Christians over time, I hope, right? Because we come to Jesus, and we are a hot mess when we come to Jesus. But because I've really surrendered to Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit now makes me new and the Holy Spirit works in me and the gospel works itself out and I am being transformed. Listen, I'm still a mess, but I'm not nearly as hot as I used to be. That came out weird. <laughs> it's true. Because it's a scale, right? I was never hot, but it's less than it used to be. Let me, like, like, I'm not as messy as I used to be. I'm less messy. That sounds better. I should have gone with that. I'm less messy than I used to be. And over the course of time, hopefully, if the gospel continues to work itself out, I am becoming less and less of a mess. The problem is, I'm seeing people because they haven't let the gospel work itself out in their hearts yet. And they look really messy still. And I'm not that messy anymore. But here's what we forget. We forget why we're less of a mess. And it's not because of me. It has nothing to do with my goodness. I'm less of a mess than I used to be because God has done some things in me. I'm not better than that person. I'm a little bit further along. We've got to understand this. So, so here's, here's what happens. Jesus says, why do you worry about this? This is how it plays itself out. Why are you worrying about the speck in your friend's eye when, when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? So, so this is Jesus saying, look, if you feel judgmental, right off the bat, you are not in a position to help somebody else. 
If you feel like you're better than somebody else, if you feel self-righteous, if you feel elevated, if you feel puffed up, right off the bat, you are in no position, you are in no position to offer somebody else insight to their problems. You are in no position to come alongside them or judge them or to offer them judgment or to help them figure things out. If you feel self-righteous, then you've got a plank in your eye. See, we, we think here speck and plank, and we think of it's like, we, you get this idea that it's a grade, right? Like, oh, if you've got a plank in your eye, like, like listen, you're angry and you're holding on to some bitterness, but I'm actually murdering people. So I really, in my, in my anger, I'm, I'm murdering people. I have no right to come up to you and say, hey, you really got to let go of that anger because it's going to cause you a problem. Some people look at this and say, well, that's the plank is the bigger sin and the speck is the smaller sin. So people with bigger sins shouldn't confront people with smaller sins. And that makes sense. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not the point that Jesus is making. The point that Jesus is making, the plank, is your self-righteousness. That's the whole thing he's been saying. He's like, don't judge or you'll be judged. And and if you judge, that's the standard that's going to come back to you. It's like a boomerang. You're going to have to deal with that, right? And he says, so, so if you've got a plank in your eye, right, if you are judgmental, if you feel better than other people, then you are not in a position to come alongside anybody and help them with their problem. Why? Because what they need is the grace of God, and you think you got there on your own. So you're not going to be giving them grace. You're going to be giving them a pep talk. You're not going to be helping them see that the cross of Christ changes things. You're going to be telling them that they should be more like you. Right? You're going to come alongside somebody. You've got this plank in your eye you can't see, and you're going to come alongside somebody, and you're going to say, you know what you need to do? You need to act like me. You need to just be better. You need to buckle down. You need to try harder. You need to stop that nonsense like I did. That's not what they need, though. Jesus says, you're in no position. How dare you? That's hypocritical. It's when you can't see past the log in your own eye. You didn't get there on your own. You didn't do that. The grace of God did that for you. I'm not suggesting that maybe you're not further along. But here's what I will tell you, hands down. You are not further along because you tried harder. The grace of God is what transforms. So Jesus says, man, don't, don't be hypocritical. He says, you hypocrite. Don't do that. Deal with what's in your own eye first. See, self-righteousness is such a dangerous sin because at its core, it's unbelief. When we're self-righteous, when we're judgmental, at the core, it's unbelief. We're trusting ourselves rather than trusting God. We decide what's right, what's wrong. We decide who does what's right and what's wrong. We decide their motives. We decide and we pass judgment. Self-righteousness claims to be both the person who makes the law and the one who judges the law. And those aren't our jobs. Those belong to the Lord. Self-righteousness actually denies the gospel. I mean, you understand that, right? When we're in danger, when we're in danger of being judgmental, we're, we're in danger of being self-righteous and denying the gospel. How am I denying the gospel? Well, because 
I think I'm better because I'm better. I didn't need the gospel for that. I'm not remembering that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That I used to be broken and messy and starving and and, and somehow I found the cross and now I hunger and thirst for righteousness instead. So Jesus says, you hypocrite. Get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your your friend's eye. It says, you hypocrite. Stop thinking you are better. You're not better. You needed the grace of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what saved you, and it's what transforms you, and it's what will save and transforms them. You're not better. Deal with your own attitude. Deal with your own self-righteousness. Then come alongside your friend and help. Only then. So what this is, this is the part where you ask God. You ask God to search you. This is what David said. David said, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is David saying, search me, God. Show me. Show me my wickedness. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I'm trusting myself and not trusting you. Show me where I have an attitude of judgment against other people. Show me where I'm struggling to be gracious in the gospel. Show me these things so that I can, I can know. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. The person that does this is the person that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. David later says this. He says, create in me, God, a clean heart. Renew a loyal spirit within me. This is David saying, I have got so much in my eyes that it is ridiculous. I've got so much sin, right? And he knows his path is, I I just need God before I need anything else. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Then, and only then, will I teach your ways to rebels and they will learn to follow you. This is David saying, I'm not just self-righteously going to walk in to scenarios where people are wrong and doing it wrong and making mistakes and just decide that I can fix them and that I just need to tell them and they need to hear from me. Here's the problem with judgmental behavior. What you're assuming is that they need to hear from you. They don't need to hear from you. They need to hear from God. He says, so, so, Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew this rightness in my heart. Restore to me what I've lost because of my sinfulness. Make me willing to obey you. Then, then I'll be in a position to remove the speck from my brother's eye. Only then. Here's the the issue when it comes to judgment. It's such a narrow line. Because if we walk on this side of the line, we let a lot of things go that we shouldn't let go. And if we walk on this side of the line, then we are causing people to stumble. And we're being judgmental. But what Jesus is saying is, if your heart is right, you've got to walk it correctly. This is why Jesus says, look, if you're in a glass house, you shouldn't throw stones. We're like, wait, that's a proverb. I know, right? 
That's, it's, Jesus didn't say it, right? It's a proverb. People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones because they'll break the glass. Forget it. Let's go back. Jesus did say this. He says, you without sin cast the first stone. This is where this comes from. You without sin cast the first stone, right? In, in Jewish culture, when somebody was caught in abject sin, right? Oftentimes, according to the law, they were to be executed. The way that they were to be executed was they were to be taken outside of the, uh, outside of the city limits. Everybody that was accusing them of this sin that, was, that, that they were guilty of was to take a stone and was to throw stones at that person until they were dead. They were to stone them. That's what a stoning was. They were to throw big, heavy stones at this person until they died. They drag this woman in front of Jesus, and they say, look, she's been caught in adultery. They've all got stones in their hand. They're like, so Jesus, are you with us or not? What do you say? And what is his response? Okay, whoever's without sin... You be the one to throw first. You want to sit in judgment on her, that's fine. But make sure that you are in a position to judge. How are you in a position to judge? Then you are the one who is without sin. And of course, what's the right response? They all drop their stones and they walk away because none of them are in the position of judge. They're not there. And then he ends with this weird thing. If you've read this ahead of time, you're like, I don't understand verse 6. It's okay. Lots of people don't understand verse 6. Spent a lot of time this week figuring out verse 6. Because it feels out of place. After he says that, hypocrites... Take the thing out of your own eye so then you can help your brother remove the speck from his eye. He says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs because they will trample the pearls and turn and attack you. You're like, well, that's weird. What exactly does that mean? Well, what this means is this is about discernment. Okay, don't take what is holy, don't take what is sacred and throw it to dogs. If you have a different translation, it might say that. Don't take what's sacred, throw it to dogs, referring to the sacrifices that, that were holy sacrifices made to God. He said, don't take what's sacred, what belongs to God, and throw it out to dogs. Wild, feral dogs. Don't, don't take precious pearls and, and cast them before wild pigs because they'll trample the pearls, they'll trample what's valuable, and then they'll turn on you. Like, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, what's precious here, what's holy is the gospel. And so what Jesus is saying is like, no, you're not to judge people, but you are to have discernment. You are to have discernment. And don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Now listen, that does not mean don't share the gospel. Of course you're supposed to share the gospel. Of course you share the gospel. There's never a scenario that you should be able to think of that easily where you aren't willing to share the gospel with somebody. But what this means is when people are purposely antagonistic towards the gospel, that that's not your approach. 
right? When, when, when people are hard-hearted towards the gospel and they want to fight about the gospel, right? This isn't the time to share the gospel. You must have some discernment here, right? Your, your, your thing is, is, is not to go, I, I know that the last time we talked about this, you tried to punch me in the face, but I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to tell you the same thing again. I'm going to knock on your door and I'm going to get back into this fight with you. Jesus is like, don't do that, right? Jesus refused, refused to, to engage Herod in this. Paul oftentimes refused to argue when people wanted to confront about the gospel. He would share the gospel and he would debate the gospel, but when people became argumentative, he would stop, right? So, so there is this thing where as Christians, we have to be pretty careful about this, right? It, it, it's a wise Christian who assesses the condition of the heart before sharing the precious pearls of the gospel. You need to know if somebody's ready to hear it. You need to know if it's going to be helpful. You need to know if it's going to be antagonistic. You know if it's going to draw someone or push them further away. The proverb says it like this. Don't bother correcting mockers because they will just hate you. Correct the wise and they'll love you. There's an opportunity to share the gospel with people that will receive the gospel. Somebody that's antagonistic to it. I might need a different approach. I might need to take a step back. I might need to just pray for them. I might need to just have a barbecue with them, right? Maybe they don't need a class on, on theology. Maybe they just need to come over for a cookout. Maybe I, I, I don't need to sit down and tell them that they're a sinner who's condemned and going to hell right this second. Maybe instead what I need to do is ask what's going on in their lives. Have some conversations. Share some truth about my life. And then maybe God will open a door again for me to share the gospel with them at some point. But we need some discernment so that we aren't being wasteful with what's holy and we're not being antagonistic with the gospel. And there's a reason he puts that on the back end of judging. He puts that on the back end of judging because it is okay for Christians to have discernment. We are not supposed to be judgmental, but we are supposed to have sound judgment. We can't sacrifice everything to love, compromise, and unity. There are truths that we have to hold fast to. I'd been here about two weeks, and somebody wanted to sit down after the service and talk to me in the office, and so I did. We sat down in my office and talked. And they were this close. They were this close to becoming a Christian. There was just one thing they couldn't quite get on board with. They were so close. They just couldn't quite get on board with hell. And if I could just make that okay, then they would be ready to give their life to Jesus. Guess what I can't do? I can't just make that okay. Because hell is real. I can't start to compromise these things. We have to have judgment. And the judgment that I had to give was, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready because hell is real and the Bible is clear about it. Hell is as real as heaven. Jesus talks about it all the time. Right? And so... There was judgment that had to be done. It wasn't judgmental. It wasn't, man, there's something wrong with you. Get out of here. It wasn't, you're a terrible, awful person. But it was simply, 
No, this isn't what Christianity is. We can't start to compromise the hard things, the difficult things, the things that cause conflict. We can't start to smooth those over just because we want to make everybody happy. That's not what it means to not judge. What it means to not judge is to not have a spirit of superiority. I certainly wasn't able to look at her and say, you know what, the fact that you can't get this means that there's something wrong with you and you're terrible and you're awful. That would be judgmental. So, it's where we land today. Jesus is saying, listen, you must not have a spirit of judgmentalism. I'm going to ask you just to reflect this week on whether or not, on whether or not you do. I can't tell you that. I can tell you this. There are too many times in my life where I have a spirit of judgmentalism, and I've been a Christian for a good chunk of time now, and I spend a lot of time studying the Bible and asking God to fix me, and I still, more often than I care to, have a spirit of judgmentalism. That's not to say that you're in the same boat I am, right? But that's a struggle of mine. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Ask God, search my heart. Show me if there's anything in me that needs to be taken care of. If there is some judgmentalism in you, then here's what I'm going to tell you. It is getting in the way of the gospel. It's getting in the way of the gospel. And if there is judgmentalism in you, then you need to ask God to kill it. Not in your own strength, not by doing good things. You need to ask God to kill it by the power of the gospel and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Because then and only then are we going to be in a position to help our brothers that need help. And listen, we live in a culture where they need help. They need help. There are traps and there are snares and there are holes that we fall into everywhere. And we need to be in a position where we can help. But we can't help unless we've removed the plank from our own eyes. So spend some time praying on that this week. I'm going to pray for you. I would ask you to pray for me because it's, it's in mine too. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good to us and so kind. You have saved us through the power of the cross. God, because of the cross, we are in a better position But God, we didn't do it. You did that for us. And you are changing us through the Holy Spirit. You are doing it in us. And so God, as we become better, help us to remember that it's not because there's something inherently better about us, God, but because you have saved us. Help us to bring that grace to people that need need it. Help us to to be careful about our judgmental attitudes and spirits and hearts and the condemnation that comes from it. Help us to not sit in judgment over people, but to understand, God, that we also would have been judged if not for the cross. God, help us to love well the way that you love. Not in a permissive way, but God, in a way that points everyone back to you. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. I ask you to bless the people that are here. Um, Bless them as they prayerfully look inward this week. God, help them to let go of any judgmentalism that's there, to be mindful of it, to be aware of it, and help them to step out in grace, to love people well, and to be generous and gentle when they confront. And help me to do the same. 
God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for everything. Amen.